0: Well, we're getting ready to study the scriptures together, and I want to ask you to pray with me. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Well, I want to talk to you tonight about our call To live in harmony. Regardless of what side you're on or what your politics may be, we're called to honor the Lord by living in harmony together. And of course, living in harmony is not easy. If you can confirm that, if you can confirm that in the comment section right now, that would be great. You can just acknowledge it. It is not easy to live in harmony with people. One friend It told me that they hated my message from last week that spoke about some of these details and connected how we we look to the Lord as our source and also how we avoid idealizing or villainizing, how we avoid idealizing our side those who are with us and think like us and and we avoid villainizing those who are adversaries or opponents or think very differently from us. And um, this friend said, I hated your message last week. And I said, why? And they said, because I was listening really carefully and I realized I need to change some things. Well, it made me laugh. It it made that person laugh and, and I get it folks. The practical instructions on this subject of living in harmony, I think, may be some of the most difficult in all the scriptures. It's probably easier to keep kosher. It's probably easier to control what goes into your mouth than what comes out of your mouth. It's probably easier to... uh, to rein in a lot of the impulses that we have so that we can live in harmony. It's probably harder to do that. I said these are, it's harder to do that than almost anything. Probably the only way to really embrace the instructions that we receive in the scriptures is to open up our hearts and to have hearts that are humble, so that we can genuinely receive these instructions. And honestly, humility is not a very popular character trait these days. But I want to encourage us, let's make it more popular among ourselves. We can do it. We can spread the good news that humility is something that we admire. You know, without humility, the Pharaoh in us rises up and we end up going a very different way than the Lord would lead. My little Pharaoh. That's the title of this message, my little Pharaoh. We've each got one, isn't it true? I I, I got Pharaoh inside of me, you have inside of you. In order to think about living in harmony and to prepare ourselves for some instructions from the book of Romans that Paul gives, I wanna start with this week's Torah portion and I really do hope that you take time to read this week's Torah portion before Shabbat and then again afterwards and, to, and every week to do that because as you're reading, you're preparing to enter into what's important for that week for us. It helps you get more out of the studies that we do together and it helps you grasp more so that you can be more helpful and useful to other people. Now, as you're reading this weekend's Torah portion, you can notice how many times the heart of Pharaoh is mentioned. And so I'd like to ask some of you in the comment section to just write this phrase, the heart of Pharaoh. Now, not everybody knows how to spell Pharaoh. I'll give you the standard spelling, P-H-A-R-A-O-H. Unusual word coming from Egyptian. Um, into English, the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hard. As an example, his heart was stubborn. Pharaoh was hard-hearted. Hey, you know what? I think it'd be great if you count all the times, keep track of them, make a list. It could really help you. In one translation I did this, I counted at least 13 different times that the heart of Pharaoh is mentioned just in this week's readings. Well, here's one that I found interesting, and I would like some of you to put this in the comments section. It's Exodus 7, verse 23, and it makes this statement, Pharaoh just turned, and he went back to his palace without taking any of this to heart, without taking any of this to heart. He just went back home and he didn't take any of it to heart. Wow. What an important passage. Hard-hearted in the translation I was using this week, eight times it shows up in the passage. Stubborn shows up three times. Think about it. Did someone ever tell you, you are so stubborn? Well, they've told me that. (laughs) And you know what I do? I just cross my arms and say, I am not You know what that means? It's my little Pharaoh. My little Pharaoh is rising up. Here's another passage that got my attention. It's Exodus chapter 9, verse 27 through 30. We'll start in verse 27. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, this time I have sinned. Adonai is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong intercede with Adonai. We can't take any more of this terrible thunder and hail, and I'll let you go. You'll stay no longer. Verse 29, Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to Adonai in prayer. The thunder will end, and there won't be any more hail, so that you can know that the earth belongs to Adonai. But you and your servants, This is verse 30, I want you to pay close attention to what it says, but you and your servants, I know you still won't fear Adonai, the Lord our God. I found this a very interesting passage because Pharaoh mouths words that sound like a confession of repentance, but they aren't really a confession because his heart has not changed. You've heard it many times. We can fool some of the people some of the time. We can also fool ourselves, but we can't fool the Lord. And it turns out it's actually pretty hard to fool Moses. He wasn't fooled. I want you to notice the attention that Torah gives to the condition of Pharaoh's heart. That recurring theme is a point of focus so that you and I will recognize how important it is. Why doesn't it just speak about Pharaoh's heart once so that we'll get it? Well, the answer is by repetition, the Torah is making a point so that Our attention is focused on that theme. The Lord knows that we're easily distracted, that we can easily pay attention to other things, that we can even miss the main point and get other points. But in in Hebrew writing in the Torah, when a phrase or a word is repeated again and again, it's because that is the theme that's so important. And it's a literary device that is uh, throughout the writings of the scriptures. Repetition in English may not be so good, but it sure is important in Hebrew. And so the writers of the uh, Tanakh use repetition in order to emphasize something, to make it really, really clear to us that this is important. So the condition of Pharaoh's heart is repeated again and again. It's mentioned over and over again because that was so important. You see, Pharaoh was proud. He wasn't humble. He was driven by hubris, not humility. And I think this, humility and honesty are wonderful qualities in strong leaders. Those who are humble and honest about themselves, like Moses, like King David, they're admirable examples. And those who are proud and those who are dishonest, they're not worth following, my friends. They're just not worth following. You see, the condition of the heart is important to the Lord. And it's so important, especially in these times, that we don't ignore that. Anyone who ignores the condition of the heart, I think, will end up being pulled into another worldview, a different kind of faith than we read about in Torah and see in the teachings of Yeshua. So let's move forward to the instructions about how we're to live together in harmony. And I want to say, Sandy and I spent a lot of time together praying about this, studying and, and working on this question of living in harmony and how it applies to our congregation. It is not the easy way, mishpocha, but it's the way the Lord has called us. And I hope it's what the Lord has called you to and that you feel that too. It's not easy. It requires sacrifice. It requires restraint. It will take all of your heart to fulfill it. And it's the best way to go for us and I hope for you. We believe that God has called us as rabbi and Rebison to serve and lead all kinds of people. This congregation is diverse young and old, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, immigrant and U.S. born, conservative and liberal, Republican and Democrat, black and white, well-educated, poorly educated, suburban, city folk. It takes a lot of work and a lot of attention to living in harmony. Now, we don't endorse political candidates. We don't endorse political parties because we're called to minister to all kinds of people. And it's a willing and deliberate sacrifice that we make so that we can serve different kinds of people. Of course, every person in America has the right to engage in political activity as they see fit. However, we make deliberate sacrifices so that we can relate to every kind of person and every kind of person can relate to us. It's not easy. Sandy and I don't define ourselves as liberal or conservative. We don't define ourselves by any political label. And in fact, we refuse political labels. They don't accurately or fully describe who we are. Sandy says, I'm not a liberal or a conservative. I'm not just one thing, I'm many things. And I like that. It's also important to know that we don't think that the entire world order rests on the shoulders of politicians and government leaders. The highest government, Isaiah says, rest upon the shoulders of Messiah, the Lord. In any worldview that thinks that the world order, civilization as we know it, the blessed life depends on a president or a politician, you, you know what? You're thinking like Egyptians because they thought that. They thought Pharaoh was the caretaker, the guardian and the guarantor of Ma'at, the Egyptian term for the cosmic world order and civilization as they knew it and the blessed life and even the natural world working well together. And and the Romans had a view like that, that Caesar was an incarnation of God. The Greeks before that, the Seleucids, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, saw himself as an incarnation of God. And you know what happens, people? They conflate their politics with their religion. It all becomes one thing together. It's a a terrible thing that happens, and it is not the view of Torah. It is not the view of Yeshua. It is not the view of the apostles. It's a different view to think like that. And I'm saying this so that you can recognize maybe how worldly views have even dulled you to some matters and how easy it is to identify with a political faction or group that you think um, is better than the others, it may be, but you may identify in such a way that your identification overthrows the strength of identity you have with the Lord. You may not even notice it at the beginning. Yeshua's disciples surely didn't. They began to think about world matters and about relationships within the community of faith in a very worldly way. They took their ideas from what they saw in the world around them, and Yeshua had to call them on that, had to try to instruct them about that. We'll look at that at another time, not tonight, but I want to bring it up because it really is important. We've got to recognize in ourselves, we can't just be critiquing others, but those of us who love the Lord and we love the Scriptures are still vulnerable to worldly thinking and worldly influences. That's why we're looking at it. And that's why I can say that the instructions about living in harmony are some of the hardest. And with that in mind, I wanna go to the book of Romans. Would you write in the comments section, Romans 12, verses 14 through 18. I think this is a very useful and provocative passage. So let me read these verses to you and then we'll go through it again and look at them in some detail. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but enjoy the company of the lowly, do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Carefully consider what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it is possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. Those are very thoughtful words. And have you ever asked yourself this question, why does Paul address these matters? The answer, I think, is because these were issues that the Romans were facing. But we see the same type of um, instruction given throughout the Gospels Yeshua gives Um, many detailed instructions like this. And in the epistles and the writings of the New Testament, we see over and over again, there are instructions about how to live with each other, how to live rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, uh, different ethnicities, different uh, political ideologies even, Sadducees, Pharisees, zealots, the Essenes, tax collectors, Romans, Roman soldiers and government leaders. Oh, such diversity within the body of Messiah. And over and over and over again, the apostles Address these issues. So you might be saying, Rabbi, can't you move to another topic? I want to learn about the ashes of the red heifer. It's like, well, not tonight. That's not on our um, on our list for what we're going to talk about. I just made that up. You know, it could be something else. But you may get tired. You may get tired of hearing this. But I can tell you something that, as I talk with rabbis and with pastors, with leaders in different communities of faith in many different places, we're all facing the same kinds of issues. People are having real difficulty getting along together. And sometimes it's because congregations have become overly politicized, and they've identified too much with political parties, and they've even conflated their politics and their faith and become vehement and um, and strong and harsh in the language that you, they use on social media and elsewhere, but also the ways that they treat each other. I mean, it's shocking, but people are leaving some congregations because they are one-sided and fully identified with only one political viewpoint. I think it's sad, but... You know what? Families are in conflict. Almost everyone knows someone in their family who's at odds with them over what's happening in the world around them. Um, You have your stories. You know, you know. One rabbi said this week that the last year has taken 10 years off of his life. No, it wasn't me. It was someone else. But he said this has been one of the hardest years and he has just, um, he doesn't know what to do. But I know he's not alone. I know many people feel like the tension and the conflict and the the stress and the the hostility and the the sense of um, battling with each other has become too much and I, I I want to encourage people who don't want to be a part of that battle. You don't want to give in to just identifying and being identified with a political party that doesn't really fully represent you because when you identify with them, of course you have every right to vote and to choose the best candidates and the best parties you think. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something else. I'm saying when you identify, when you think I am, this. I am this. This is me. When you make that your insignia and your, your personal sign when, when you put it on Facebook because you want everyone to know that's who you are, it has an impact. It gives prominence to that. So you get not only the good, you get the bad and the ugly of that group. If you don't know all those people and all they're doing, if you're not helping lead that group, you may end up being associated with a group that embarrasses you or disappoints you because they do things that go against the teachings of Yeshua. Just a word of caution. I'm just saying, you know how it is. I can't control what you do. I'm talking to your heart. I'm talking to you in a way, um, in a gentle way because I believe it's useful. I think it's, it's useful for us to to look carefully at Romans 12, and to say, how do I need to apply that myself? I'm doing it. If I'm doing it, I think you can do it too. It says this, bless the ones who cause trouble for you. Well, some people cause trouble for me, and I'm trying to bless them. It says, bless and don't curse them. I'm trying to do that. It's not always easy. There are times when you really want God to intervene by laying somebody low, and you'll help him if he's not operating it fast enough as you think. But the scripture is clear. Bless the ones who cause trouble to you. Bless the ones who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. And then it says these words rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I find that interesting. I think what it's speaking about is keeping our hearts open so that we can actually fellowship deeply with people. We can rejoice with people when they're rejoicing. We can mourn with them when they're mourning. And we can do that with people who are like us and people who are not like us, people who are on our side and people who are on different sides. But we keep our hearts open. It is so easy to get hard-hearted towards people in this hour. But you know what that means? It's very easy for Pharaoh, for my little Pharaoh to rise up in me, your little Pharaoh to rise up in you. We have to be very careful. The scripture says, verse 16, live in harmony. With each other. And it's an interesting word because harmony speaks about different parts that work together. Harmony in music, through singing or through uh, instrumentation, it's different parts, but the parts are working together. They're not the same parts. It doesn't say everybody play the same note in the same way. It's saying this, listen to the song of life and the song of faith and the song of faithfulness that the Spirit of God is playing. And join in with that and find your part, how you can fit in with that. And when someone speaks something that's actually good and from the Lord, even if it's different from um, your inclination, try to find a way to harmonize with that. We're not all the same, but we have to learn how to live together with our differences. Many times in Scripture, this issue of difference is addressed. We don't have the same gifts, but we have one Holy Spirit, the same Spirit in us. We don't have the same manifestation. We don't have the same way of looking at things, but we want to be in harmony together. And then it says this, don't be proud. Now, let me ask you a question. It's a basic question. It's a comprehension question. Who is being addressed? Who is Paul writing to in this letter? And in this particular chapter, in these particular verses, who is he trying to give instruction to? The answer is believers. The believers, Italian believers in Rome. So he's writing them and he's saying, don't be proud. But now this scripture has come to us with real authority. So you know what it means? It was written for them, but it's applicable to us. We need to not be proud. Humility is not very popular these days, my friends, but it needs to be popular with us. Humility means as an example, that we bend down to lift others up. That we use our strength to help lift other people up. And then it says, don't be conceited. That's a particular kind of pride that, well, you understand it. And then this part, and this part is, this is not Washington, folks. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. This is not social networking that is talking about. Don't match ugly comments. No, this is a whole other view, a different ethos than what you'll learn from the people in Washington. I'm using that, you know, as a as a term to mean people involved in politics, but you'll also. Um, Need to understand. This is a very different ethos from what you learn from people who are using social networking, including believers. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. I think that includes us not matching ugly comments. Someone says something ugly. What do um, what do you see on Facebook or? or Twitter or whatever, you see people escalate and things go nuclear almost it seems, it's terrible. I wanted to let everyone know that I decided to use the hockey penalty box system for now, sort of, sort of like that. I put people in the penalty box on social media if they're speaking harshly. Not to me, but to one another. So some people go in the penalty box for a full 30 days on Facebook. I think that is so cool because Facebook has added this feature where you can really do that. You can put someone in, I'm calling it the penalty box, um, for 30 days. And then afterwards, they get another chance. (laughs) I love it. I'm using it. I've already um, put people in the penalty box and I'll keep doing it um, because... I'm taking a stand. I don't want to, I don't want to take in that harshness. I don't want to provoke myself so that I interact with it. There's this wonderful statement in this passage in verse 17. Carefully consider what's right in the eyes of everybody. That's a tough one. Think about other people carefully consider. I think it means that we need to develop a greater sense of awareness about other people and not just ourselves. In in fact, I hope that you stop sometimes and you don't do what you plan to do because you're thinking carefully about how it will affect others. I know many of you really do take this to heart, but maybe you don't post something because you think, "Uh uh-oh, what if Rabbi David sees this? I'd be happy for that. But what if what if you don't post something because you think, what if Yeshua sees this? <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Imagine that Yeshua is reading your mail. He does that, folks. And then the passage ends: if it's possible, live at peace with everyone. This friends is so hard to do. And one of the things that it requires is being slow to anger, and that requires a lot. Pro- Proverbs speaks about this. I wanna use just a few different examples. Proverbs 15:1. would you write that in the comment section? A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I think that's a great translation. Here's another one. A gentle response turns away anger but a harsh word stirs people up. Sometimes people may come to you and be speaking with anger. And this proverb is telling us a real secret. It's a kingdom secret, but it's so valuable. If we can respond with gentleness, it can turn away their anger, but our harsh words will stir up people and cause their tempers to flare. So what does this mean? Answer gently. Don't stir up people with harsh words. Proverbs 15, verse 18 addresses this a different way. A hot-tempered person stirs up strife, but the one who is slow to anger calms dispute. Put that in the comment section. These two words, calms dispute. You see, it requires being slow to anger in order to calm a dispute. You can be hot-tempered, but you've got to understand the consequences. You may say, well, I was born like that. I come from a hot-tempered family or a hot-tempered people, and I don't really mean it. But you may not recognize that being hot-tempered has a lasting impact. It stirs up strife. It causes difficulty for people. But being slow to anger calms disputes. So, I want to encourage you don't feed your anger addiction starve it. If if you're doing things that provoke your own anger and then you're just lashing out you could be watching TV channels that you hate. <laughs> you know. You know you're arguing with the TV or you could be reading news articles that you just can't stand um, or, or there are many different things that you could do. You could be using social media and you're being fed material that just stirs you up and and you're being angry all the time. I would say, don't feed that anger addiction. That's what it's become, an addiction to anger. Starve it. And then Proverbs 16.32 speaks to the, I think, the power that it takes, but also the power that it represents to get our anger under control. It says this, being slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his own spirit is better than he that takes a city. Wow. And that causes me to think about a prayer that that we pray almost every time we're together. It's part of the Amidah, the Shemona Esrei. It's that particular prayer called Gevara, and it speaks of the power of God. And, And it tells us that the Lord uses his power to restore and to revive and to heal, and that the Lord takes notice of people who have fallen and people who are wounded and sick and even those who have passed away, and he reaches down them. I love this. It says, no noflim. He lifts up the ones who have fallen. And he heals the sick. You see, that connects to Yeshua's paradigm of leadership. It's based on serving others and doing good for them and using your strength to lift them up rather than to lift yourself up. Ourselves up. The strong ones bend down to lift the weak ones up. We use our strength to elevate others. And leadership in Yeshua's kingdom is measured by our service to other people. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. It's, it's like the, um, the underlying theme about how to do good for other people and what it takes, how to use our freedom for the good of other people. So so let's look at this. It's, I think, very interesting because it's also written to a community, the believers in Corinth, who were, um, they were very exuberant in their ministry and in their use of charismatic gifts, for instance. They were disorganized. They were disorderly. They often went too far too far. So they were very passionate in what they did. And sometimes that passion got everybody into trouble. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verses 19 and going to 22. Paul is writing and he says this, though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win as many people as possible. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jewish people. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, I'm under Messiah's law. I became like one not having the law so as to win those not having the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. And I do all of this. Verse 23, what's his motivation? Why? Why? would he make this sacrifice? Why would he use his freedom this way rather than for himself to be himself so that people can just see who he is? I do this, I do all of this, he says, for the sake of the gospel so that I can share in its blessings. You see, it's been a blessing to Paul to receive the gospel. It's had such an impact on him that he has learned to value other people in their points of view. He had a strong point of view. He was a Pharisee, a strong Pharisee. He was... He was very zealous and was part of that group of Pharisees that thought they were serving God by persecuting Messianic Jews, taking them to prison even, criminally creating trouble for them. And now Paul is saying, this gospel has such an impact on me that I'm different. And this is how I use my freedom." and I become a slave. I'm not a slave, but I have become like a bond servant to everyone to win as many people as possible. Now I've been thinking about that. This goal, this attitude of winning people, it's very different than overpowering people. It's very different than defeating people. It is so difficult for me as a believer to watch other believers who have taken on the attitude of the political world, which is winner take all, defeat the other guy. We need to win people. That's what Paul knows. He, He gave up that other attitude of trying to overpower and dominate. He wants to win. And that winning requires that we really connect with people. We have to understand other people's positions in life, their viewpoints, their backgrounds, their ways of thinking, their culture, what influences them. We have to see through their eyes and that requires sacrifice, mishpocha. You can't do that by just projecting, you can't do that by, uh, by trying to just figure it out, it requires real dialogue. You have to listen to other people's stories. That's what we have to do. We have to walk in their shoes. We have to hear them, even if it's very different from our own. We have to probe. And especially when, when we think we understand, it's so necessary for us to confirm that we understand other people's point of view. And then there's something else that's required. We, when our hearts are open to people, we can mirror some of their qualities in order to better connect with them. To win them is not to conquer them, it's not to defeat them, it's not to destroy them. It's to connect with their heart. And what does it require? An open heart, a humble heart. What's the alternative? my little pharaoh rises up and rules the day. Look around us. Choose for yourself. Do you want to see pharaoh and that whole system having the last word in our country and in our world, or do you want the gospel, as Paul says, and all of its blessings to have the last word. Well, I think Mishpacha, you're on the side of the gospel and I wanna give you these instructions. They're hard instructions. Of course, it's easy to say yes, yes, yes. I mean, Pharaoh did it. Yes, yes, yes. It's very different to take them into our hearts. No one can force it into your hearts. Only you can open up your heart and your way of thinking and say, wow, this part of me Need some work, Lord. Well, I hope you have taken this to heart because I think the word of the Lord is powerful and it's useful for instructing us and for equipping us and causing every good thing that God has for us to become available to us. We're going to close tonight with Aaron's blessing, and then we'll have a final song with the Cautions. But first, I want to ask you, would you consider being a financial supporter and standing with us if if this ministry is a blessing to you? You can find out all the information on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. And Let's join together now and close with Aaron's blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord guard and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, who really is the Prince of Peace. And we can all say amen. Let me remind you our Torah service tomorrow in the sanctuary, live in the sanctuary. It will also be live streamed on Facebook too. It's open to everyone who's completed a waiver and protocols are still in place. So Sandy and I want to say to you Shabbat Shalom. And now let's go back to the Corsion family for our final worship song. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.